Well, good morning again. My name is Sean, the lead pastor here, and it's our joy to be together on the Lord's Day in worship, especially on Christmas Eve. What a great time to be together. If you're one of our guests here today, we're so glad that you are here. If you'd like to find out more about our church or maybe connect with us, you can go to your back cover and scan this QR code right here, and that goes right to the church staff. We respond to that. If you'd like to have coffee with me or Donnie or, or something else and just find out more about our church, we would love to do that with you, and that's the easiest, most direct way to do that, to find out more about our church. Well, today we're finishing up our series Uh, For Advent, in the book of Hosea, we are going to be in Hosea chapter 14, and the passage today is found on page 711 of that chair Bible there in front of you. And to our guests here this morning, if you don't have a Bible at home, please do take that one with you as our gift. We would love for you to have that. And again, today's passage, when we get there, will be found on page 711 in our sermon text. As we get ready to go to the passage today, not yet, um, I want to kind of get your mindset into it. So I want you to imagine you're walking along, maybe it's a city street, maybe it's in a public place, it's not in your home, and all of a sudden you trip and you stumble a little bit. In general, I've noticed there's some pretty universal reactions. First of all, you look around, who noticed, right? If, if you see that people can tell you did it, what do you do? You immediately look back as if to blame the place on the floor, right? Like it wasn't me, there's a place on the floor, right? Because we've all stumbled, we've all messed up, we've all kind of tripped up, right? It's a universal human thing, and so that's the background image to this passage today in the book of Hosea we're wrapping up with. We've all stumbled, and so this passage has this metaphor of stumbling. So the book of Hosea has been about the unfaithfulness of God's people, using some difficult metaphors, uh, uh, try to help them understand how significant and serious that is. And what made it really hard is that God's people at this time, they did all the Moses stuff, we'll call it. They would have considered themselves faithful. They just kind of added some really relevant things throughout the week to take care of all the religious stuff they did on the Sabbath. And so God calls them out using images of a husband and an unfaithful wife or a child and a a dad who they, they won't listen to. So now here we are at the very last shot. These are the last words in the book of Hosea. He's trying to really get them to understand what's going on. So again, let's look together now at Hosea chapter 14. It's found on page 711 in your chair Bible, page 10 in your order of worship. This is God's word. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. And we will say no more, our God, to the works of our hands, for in you the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who look after and care for you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. 
For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Let's pray together. O gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father God, that you have given us yourself in your book so that we can know you exactly as you wish to be known. And so, Father, we pray that as we come before you this morning, that you would open this text up to us and us to it, that we would see you as you are, ourselves as we are, and we would cling to Christ for mercy as we see him in his beauty. And we ask this, Father, by your Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So this is the prophet's last chance. He begs his nation to worship God as God. Please, by the Holy Spirit, he foresees a time coming in the future when God's people will return to him in droves. They'll come back to him in authenticity. They'll come back to him in worship. And what he looked forward to, we look back on this grand event where God himself came down as a baby at Christmas opening up real power for healing and for change for us. And that gets us to our theme for today. Here's where we kind of orbit around this this morning. It's this. Christmas shows us that God's way is to forgive and heal. So we jump right in at the very beginning of this text with the prophet's words. Hosea is speaking and he's calling them to repent. He basically says, hey, y'all, come back to God. Please, just come back. You've stumbled. You've tripped up. You've been made weak, we could even translate it, by your sin, by your guilt, by your iniquity. And so he says, just come back. Repent. And he tells them in verse 2 to just own it. Did you notice that in verse 2? He said, take with you words. Because you see, real repentance is not just remorse. Uh, No, take that down. Thank you. Real repentance is not just remorse. It's not just feeling bad about the situation. It's actually owning the reality. It's actually hating the reality of your sin and then turning away from your sin. That's what real repentance is. So often it's very easy for us to fall into remorse, right? Because the situation gets hard, but actually owning it is real repentance. So the Bible says, take with you words. Oh, boys and girls. Christmas Eve, you excited seeing all those presents under the tree, right? Let me ask you something. Have you ever done something wrong to your brother or to your sister or maybe to a friend at school? What does your dad, your mom, or your teacher, what what do they say to you? Say you're sorry. That's what the Bible says here. It says take with you words and repent. And then he actually gives us what to say. He doesn't leave it up to our creativity. He says, take with you words. Now let me give you the words. And so we see our words in the next passage. Look with me at uh, the second part of verse 2. Look here. It says, take away all iniquity and accept what is good. This is us talking back to God in the passage. God says, take with you words. Here are the words that we say. We own our guilt. We ask God to take it away. See, repentance recognizes that only God can remove our guilt. Standing firmly in God's mercy, his people say, take it away. This is the Old Testament word for forgive. We could translate this, forgive us in sin, in guilt. All we have is just to ask for forgiveness, please. 
See, forgiveness is a theological truth, but Hosea reminds us here that it's also very relational. Forgiveness is relational. This is how we reconcile with a loving, heavenly Father that we have walked away from. Our divine husband we've cheated on. We own it. We recognize it. And we ask him to forgive it. And can I just say, by the way, this is how you reconcile um, all relationships, not just your relationship with your heavenly father. You own and acknowledge your part and ask for forgiveness. But there's more. And moms and dads, we know there's more, right? Earlier we talked about making our kids say you're sorry. But if they don't then act sorry, they're not sorry, right? And we know that. And that's what God tells us here, the last part of in, in, the, in this chapter. He says, with all that take with you bulls, and the, the, we will offer sacrifices of bulls for the fruit of our lips stuff, all that weird imagery. They're looking at the Old Testament peace offering, is what it's called. You would bring an animal into worship, you would sacrifice the animal, and you would eat the animal that you just sacrificed in a big community party, celebrating God's forgiveness and grace in your life. They're looking to that and basically saying, when we do this, we will bring words, We will own it, we will repent, and our lives will reflect our words of repentance. We will say we're sorry and then actually live out that apology. We will worship with joy and celebrate with our heart what God has done. See, what God's word here reminds us of is that repentance shows. Repentance is casting off our trust, our comfort in other things. And it's placing it back in God alone where it belongs. He tells us exactly what this looks like and exactly how we say it in verse 3. Look with me at verse 3. It says this, As we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. See, a helpless sinner under the burden of their sin, when they repent, they finally get to the point where they say, No more! I'm done! And they will find mercy. Now, I know many of you weren't here last week, but for those of you that were, we talked about God's natural work, how it's natural to his personality, so to speak, to be merciful and kind. That the Bible tells us God has to be provoked to anger. He has to be provoked to justice and judgment. But he is love. He is merciful. That's who he naturally is. So the natural thing for God to do is to forgive us and give us mercy. And that is why we are looking at Hosea at Christmas. Because Christmas is for everyone, but especially those who are sick of struggling with sin. Jesus was born as a baby to know our pain, the pain of that struggle against sin. He knows it better than we do. You and I, even the most sanctified among us, there comes a time when we stop fighting temptation and we give in. And the battle is over. And we need forgiveness, but at least we got some peace for a little while because we gave in, right? Jesus never gave in. It never stopped The temptation never ceased because he never gave it a chance to win and stand over him in victory. He knows the pain of resisting, the pain of dealing with weakness. He can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He has been there. That's why it tells us the orphan finds mercy. 
we find the mercy of God in the person of Jesus. Christmas shows us that God's way is to forgive and heal. So after the prophet's words at the beginning, after our words we just looked at, now we get to God's will starting in verse 4. Look with me at verse 4. He says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. God owns who they really are. They own their sin and God owns it. You guys are apostates, but guess what? I'll heal you and I will love you freely. He doesn't say, oh, shucks, it's all right. Thanks for apologizing. No. He says, you were unfaithful. He owns it. But I will heal you because I love you. See, that's why we're here at Christmas. Christianity owns that we are sinful, and it owns that God provides righteousness. If you're new to the church, or maybe you've been around some church people, you know, sometimes people tend to emphasize one or those. There are those who are really emphasizing the fact that we are sinners, and there are those that really emphasize the fact that God provides righteousness, and those two extremes are half the story. The full story is God says, you are sinners, and I will forgive your sin and make you righteous in my son. It offers forgiveness and healing. And that's why we're here on Christmas, because Jesus Christ was born so he could live the life we should live before a holy God. And then on the cross, he could pay the penalty for our sins. And then he could give us the righteousness that he earned throughout his life, tapping into the very holiness of God so we can look at him and say, I am an orphan, and yet in you I've found mercy. And then he offers us flourishing life, a life of abundance and joy. It's available to us in Jesus. Hosea looks forward and describes this time in verses 5 through 7 with a bunch of agrarian imagery that doesn't really land with us, but it's a, it's a picture of flourishing and joy. I wanted you all to get this, so I, I, here's how we put it for the boys and girls. Let's look at the kids' translation of verses 5 through 7. It says this, I will make my people alive and happy and strong. Others will stand in awe at what I do for my people. When my people come back to me, I will protect them and make them happy. And everybody will know about it. See, back in this context, the idol, the fertility god, Baal, he offered them fruitfulness. He offered them abundance. But God is actually the one who delivers it. God takes the initiative to heal his people out of love for them. And then they will take that healing to the nations. See, Hosea looks ahead to Christmas because it's in Christmas that we see that in Jesus, God comes down to us in love to heal us and then gives us this message to take to the world. He wants us to flourish in his love. He wants us to have joy in his love. To an original reader, the images in verses 5 through 7 are just abundance and flourishing. All the things that they want so badly out of life, God says, I give it to you. All the things that you and I want so badly out of life as well. That we fall into worshiping our culture's idols to get. God himself offers is what Hosea tells us. But so often, whether we've been around church world a lot or whether we kind of just obliquely have skimmed the service of it, there seems to be this presupposition, this idea that's in the air that God isn't that merciful, that he's more of a taskmaster, that he has to be appeased and placated. And I just don't know if I measure up. 
A friend of mine puts it this way. He says, for suburbanites, you've got to talk about this way. God is not the great HR director in the sky. And you think you get your employee evaluation at the end of every day, don't you? And you get the dreaded needs improvement. <laughs> but that's not who God shows himself to be. God is merciful. He is kind. We think of him as obtuse and aloof so often that he would never forgive us that freely. Let this picture of God in verses 5 through 7 change how you see him. This is the God who wants us to have joy. This is the God who wants us to have abundance. This is the God who invented laughter. He invented chocolate. It's a plant. And this is the God who gave us his only son, the Lord Jesus, so we can have joy and celebration. When we repent of our sins, he gives us Jesus himself. When we place our, our faith in him alone, that is God's will. And the last thing we see here is we see God's ways. Wrapping it all up, God himself now speaks and he asks the question of his children. Look with me at verse 8, what the question is he asks. He asks, what have I to do with idols? The way to think about this question is, is what have I ever had to do with idols? What are you doing even being close to those idols? I'm so much better than the idols. I actually answer you. Has an idol ever actually answered you? No. I actually look after you. I actually take care of you. Oh, dear Christian, hear this today. The idols we give our lives to, work, success, materialism, whatever it is, whatever promises you fulfillment, whatever offers to give your life meaning, whatever offers to give your life purpose, whatever it is you find your mind resting on in stress as your happy place, or perhaps what is your nightmare if you should ever lose it, that precious thing to you. Those things actually consume you. They own you. They're parasites that feed off of all of us and they never fulfill us. But God comes and says, I am the source. I will fulfill you. He promises abundance in himself. He is what we really want deep down. That is why our Lord Jesus himself, describing his own ministry, tells us in John 10.10, he says that he came to give us life and to give it to us abundantly, full of joy. Oh, hear once again the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you can have a flourishing, abundant life in Him. Those are God's ways, and He wants to give it to you. I mean, look at the prophet's conclusion if you don't believe me. Let's look together at verse 9. How does he end? He says this, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Oh, for those of you here this morning who are far off from God, there's a way back. For those of you here this morning who are near to the Lord, there's a way to go even deeper with Him. Because God's ways are right. They're correct. God's ways are pleasing, we could even translate it. Think about that, feeling right. I so often feel very out of place. Most places I go, I just feel wrong, like I don't fit. 
And my soul finds rest in the relationships and places where I feel right. Don't you? And what God promises us here in the gospel is that I will make you right so that you fit. Instead of feeling wrong, instead of feeling that you don't quite fit in, God says, I will actually make you right. And he can do it right now. His ways are right. And when you walk in them, he makes you right too, he says. See, Christmas shows us that God's ways are to heal and forgive. All right, so let's wrap this up. He uses the word stumble again in verse 9, if you noticed. Going back to verse 1, the same word again. The prophet wants us all to wrap this all together. It's like he makes a sandwich with the words, with the idea of stumbling being the bread. He says, look, all y'all have stumbled. Because he was from southern Israel. Right? He goes, there is no one who hasn't tripped up. There's no one who hasn't stumbled before me. There are those who will ignore it. And they'll try to make their own way. There are those who will not turn to me for help. They are unwise. They are transgressors. But there are those who will see that they have stumbled. And they will repent. They will bring their words to me. And I will heal them. Now, as we stand here on the threshold, the precipice of, of Christmas again. See, perhaps for the first time. Christmas is all about that God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us from the curse of His law. Jesus Christ was born to die to rescue you from your sin, from the guilt of your transgressions, to heal you where you have stumbled. Will you repent this Christmas? Will you place your faith in Jesus Christ alone as he's offered in the gospel? Because that's what Christmas is all about. That God gave the gift of his son because in him alone the orphan finds mercy. To heal us and give us abundant life. Oh, I beg you for your own good, for the good of your family, for the good of your community, let this be the Christmas where you place your faith and trust in Jesus. And you will find life full of abundance, joy, and celebration. Merry Christmas. Let's pray together. Now, gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the joy of your gospel. We thank you that you took the initiative and you came to us when we could not come to you. You invaded us not with a mighty king and his army, but with a hidden king coming as a baby. Living the life of righteousness you demand. Dying the death for our sins that you require. And then giving us his righteousness so that we could be your daughters and sons yet again. Oh, Father, I pray that for those of you, for those here today who know you, that they would see how beautiful you are and that they would once again worship you and have a deeper walk of joy in you. And I pray for those here today who don't know you, that as Jesus Christ has been lifted up, shown to be crucified for sinners and raised for our new life, that you would be true to your promise to draw all people to him even now. Oh, Father, would you right now cause many to repent 
and believe the gospel so that your will would be done right here as it is in heaven. Now we ask you to do this, Father, by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.